0: Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Samba Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. Right now, I'm gonna be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. A lot of stuff that I wanna get into today. I'm gonna to be talking about the brand new Academy rules regarding the eligibility for Best Picture. I'm also gonna be getting into some new details that Daisy Ridley laid out about the production about The Rise of Skywalker and some of the controversial elements that went into some of the decision-making and a whole lot more. But the first thing that I want to talk about is the biggest news for today, and that is the highly anticipated trailer, the first trailer for Denis Villeneuve's Dune, has dropped. And this, for me personally, is my second most anticipated film, still coming out in 2020. And like I said about Tenet, even before the pandemic really happened, it was still my number two film. I love Denny Villeneuve, Sicario, Blade Runner 2049, Arrival, Prisoners. He just really... As a, as a filmmaker, he has a track record that is impeccable. He just delivers phenomenal films every single time that we see a film of his and that he is behind the camera and this is going to be his biggest film to date, coming off of Blade Runner 2049. This is supposed to be a two-part film, and one of the main concerns coming into this movie is, is it going to be able to have box office success? Because the one thing about Blade Runner 2049 is that it was a phenomenal film, but unfortunately, the box office didn't really reflect that, as it was a bomb, and it is going to go down as something that probably will become a cult classic film. And one of the big things for Warner Brothers with this movie is that you, it, this is going to be another high, big budgeted property, a film that has kind of been through the ringer, a property that has been through the ringer with Dune, which is based off of a book by Frank Marshall, which when you talk about great sci-fi films, this is kind of kind of the, the cream of the crop. This is the, the book that a lot of sci-fi lovers really kind of go to and really kind of sparking their love for the genre. And Denny Villeneuve is somebody who loves this property. And David Lynch did a film for Dune, and that was a real big misfire in the 80s. So there's a lot of, uh, of history behind a film, the making of a property like this. And Denny Villeneuve is the latest one to actually do it. And a lot of questions were going into that. And seeing this trailer, the first trailer How are you going to market this film for the regular audience members to go see it? I think they did it in the best way possible with this trailer, which is you focus on the general story, showcase a little bit here and there. But really hit home the spectacle of this, which is on a Denny Villeneuve scale, is phenomenal. And of course, you hit hard on that cast, which is one of the, on paper, and even just the talent itself, when you're talking about... The 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 sports and a roster film like the the '90s Bulls or the Heat. This is like a dream team cast of actors to have, and they really hit home with it. Timothy Chalamet leading it all off. Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaac, Josh Brolin, Stellan Skarsgard. Dave Bautista, Zendaya, you have Charlotte Rampling, you have Jason Momoa and Javier Bardem to top it all off. And they focused on a bunch of those actors in this to really hit home because you really get a big flavor of different of different audience members with this you get the young young adult audience with Timmy Timothy Chalamet with Zendaya you get fan films like myself with Rebecca Ferguson Oscar Isaac Jason Momoa who a lot of people love and he has that charisma in this trailer and you see the the way that these actors portray these characters and you could definitely fall in line with loving them along with this incredible epic scope that denny Villeneuve is bringing to this film so i love it and one of the other things that a lot of people have been pointing to is the music selection. Some people aren't really fans of it that I've been seeing on Twitter, yet for myself, I didn't really mind it. I think it really kind of added to the scope and the scale of what this is going to bring. And you also have to remember the fact that this is, again, a two-parter. And kind of like what Warner Brothers did with it in 2017 of breaking that up into two parts, the first film did incredible money. And the second film did okay, not on the same level as the first film. but I think Warner Brothers is trying to capture that magic once again, in which the first film does incredible, which leaves them and audience members really anticipating the ending to the story. And Denny Villanueva said time and time again that he always envisioned this as a two-parter because the book itself, the material is so dense, so mass, so insanely epic. I keep using that word, but it really is true that you can't really fit it all into one film. And I think the one thing that a lot of people look at with that David Lynch film is that it was very edgy and very kind of rigid and clunky and that it had so much stuff to fit into a two-hour movie, you couldn't you couldn't fit all that stuff in. So you need to take your time with this. And Denny Villeneuve really sees that and the, the 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 cinematography looks gorgeous. It's not Roger Deacons who is with Denny Villeneuve this time, who's with them on Blade Runner 2049 and on Sicario, but still the the iconography looks just Impeccable, And it looks like something that Denny Villeneuve shot. He is, again, a director that isn't really on the rise anymore. He is here on the level. And this is really, this is his Star Wars. This is his MCU kind of coming out party, I think, in terms of really breaking out with a big property that a lot of sci-fi people know. I think a lot of cinephiles know. And it's all about appealing to that mass audience. And Warner Brothers is always notorious for their trailers being over three minutes long. Yet with... A film like this with a property like this, I think you need a very long first trailer to establish to the audience members what you can expect with this movie and what you can go into And that it appeals to the scope, it appeals to the actors, and that you can go in. And I'm not saying that the star appeal of this cast is going to be the main thing, but for Warner Brothers, again, it needs to be one of the main appealing draws to get people to go see this film if they never really heard of the book, Doom, before in the history of adapting it onto the screen. So... I think this is a really good start for Dune. It's coming out on December 18th. Will it stay on that release date? Again, it's completely up in the air. This is Warner Brothers, so it'll be interesting to see maybe Wonder Woman takes the December 18th spot and Dune moves to next year. There's been reports from Villeneuve himself saying that because of the pandemic, they've had to kind of shorten up their reshoot schedule, which is always a part of a big production like this. And because the pandemic has kind of wonked and, and made it a little troublesome for them to shoot anything during the summertime, they have needed to take the last month or so and, and try to get to where they need to be in order to make this film come out. But again, with this trailer it looks like they're on the right path i'm excited for this film it's lived up to my expectations and then some the it looks and feels like a sci-fi version of game of thrones which i love so this is really something that i'm looking forward to it lived up to i wanted it to be and the question now becomes what do you guys think about this trailer did you enjoy it did you not enjoy it that's gonna be my twitter poll question for today did you like the dune trailer did you not like it or are you on the same level of maybe where you were before with your anticipation. Let me know what you think about it down below in the Twitter poll and leave your thoughts. And then moving from the world of Dune to the Academy Awards, which Dune could be playing in come April of 2021. This is not really talking about Dune with the Academy Awards, but this has to do with some rule changes that are coming specifically with the best picture category. And this isn't something that's gonna take implementation this year, but over the next three years, this is something that will become a new priority for the academy award which has a few initiatives going on within it to promote more diversity more inclusion within the academy and the pictures and properties that it selects for their award nominations and this is uh, one of the biggest ones that the academy have come up with to date and before i even give my own opinions and thoughts about it i want to give the information that the academy let out cuz it's a lot to take in but they did a good job in really kind of breaking it down so the new rules that are being implemented are about on-screen diversity. And basically they broke it up into four different categories for what the Academy or not the Academy, but what productions are going to have to make sure they implement if they wanna buy for a best picture slot at the Academy Awards. And it's gonna begin starting in with the 94th and 95th Academy Awards in 2022 and 2023, in which they every single production is going to have to fill out a form saying what kind of diversity inclusions they are taking both in front of and behind the camera. And then these new rules that I'm about to lay out will be fully implemented by the 96th Academy Awards. So that'll be around 2024 that we'll finally get these these rules into effect. And the thing about it is, it's not just one area that you have to fill out. You have to fill out two out of the four areas in order to qualify for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. And they broke it up into, into four standards, lettering them from A through D. And the first standard, Standard A, has to do with on screen representation, themes, and narrative. So this is the priorities that they lay out for Standard A. To achieve Standard A, the film must meet one of the following criteria A one, lead or significant support. Supporting actors. At least one of the lead actors or significant supporting actors is from an underrepresented racial or ethnic group, including Asian, Hispanic, Latinx, Black, African-American, Indigenous, Native American, Alaskan, Native, Middle Eastern, North African, Native Hawaiian, or other Pacific Islander, other underrepresented race or ethnicity. A2 is general ensemble cast. At least 30% of all actors in secondary and more minor roles are from at least two of the following underrepresented groups women racial or ethnic group lgbtq plus people with cognitive or physical disabilities who are deaf or hard of hearing a3 main storyline subject matter the main storylines theme or narratives of the film is centered on an underrepresented group women racial or ethnic group lgbtq plus and people with cognitive or physical dis- disabilities who are deaf or hard of hearing that is standard a Moving on now to standard B, which is creative leadership and project team. To achieve standard B, the film must meet one of the criteria below. B1, creative leadership and department heads. At least two of the following creative leadership positions and department heads, casting director, cinematographer, composer, costume designer, director, editor, hairstylist, makeup artist, producer, production designer, set director, sound, VFX, supervisor, writer are from the following underrepresented groups, women, racial or ethnic group, LGBTQ+, people with cognitive or physical disabilities who are deaf or hard of hearing. At least one of those positions must belong to the following underrepresented racial or ethnic groups, Asian, Hispanic, Latinx, Black, African-American, Indigenous, Native American, Alaskan Native, Middle Eastern, North African, Native Hawaiian or other Pacific Islander, or underrepresented race or ethnicity. B2. Other key roles. At least six other crew slash team and technical positions, excluding production assistants, are from an underrepresented racial or ethnic group. These positions include, but are not limited to, first AD, gaffer, script supervisor, etc. B3, overall crew compensation. At least 30% of the film's crew is from the following underrepresented groups. Women, racial or ethnic group, LGBTQ+, people with cognitive or physical disabilities who are deaf or hard of hearing. Moving on to standard C, industry access and opportunities. To achieve standard C, the film must both have both criteria met belowhand. C1, paid apprenticeship, and internship opportunities. The film's distribution or financing company has paid apprenticeships or internships that are from the following underrepresented groups and satisfying their criteria below. Women, racial, or ethnic group, LGBTQ+, people with cognitive or physical disabilities who are deaf or hard of hearing. The major studios, distributors, excuse me, are required to have substantive ongoing paid apprenticeships, internships, inclusive of underrepresented groups. They must also include racial or ethnic groups in the most of the following departments production slash development physical production post-production music vfx acquisitions business affairs distribution marketing and publicity The mini major or independent studio distributors have a minimum of two apprentices slash interns from the above underrepresented groups, at least one from an underrepresented racial or ethnic group, and at least one of the following departments, production slash development, physical production, post-production, music, VFX, acquisitions, business affairs, distribution, marketing, and publicity. C2, training opportunities and skills development for the crew. The film's production, distribution, and or financing company offers training and or work opportunities for the below the line skill development to people from the following underrepresented groups, women, racial or ethnic group, LGBTQ+, people with cognitive or physical disabilities or who are deaf or hard of hearing. And finally, the last standard, standard D, is audience development. To achieve standard D, the film must meet the criterion below. D1 representation in marketing, publicity, and distribution. The studio and or film company has multiple in-house senior executives from among the following underrepresented groups. They must include individuals from underrepresented racial or ethnic groups on their marketing, publicity, and or distribution teams, such as women, racial or ethnic group, Asian, Hispanic, Latinx, Black, African-American, Indigenous, Native American, or Alaskan Native, Middle Eastern, North African, Native Hawaiian, or other Pacific Islander, other other underrepresented race or ethnicity, LGBTQ+, and people, of course, with cognitive or physical disabilities or who are deaf or hard of hearing. So that's a lot to take in of, of what I just laid out in front of you. And when you really kind of read it, it, there is a lot there that when you first think about it, and this was my first reaction is, well, that excludes a lot of other films that have been nominated for the best picture before. Is Does that mean that they're completely shut out now? And I think that's what a lot of people are outcrying about when they first look at these details that the Academy is laying out for their new qualifications. But again, when you really look at the, the details for all these different standards, you have to remember that you only have to qualify for two of them. And when I was reading that to do say standard B, the film must meet one of the criteria within that standard B. You just have to meet either B one or B two to qualify for that criteria. The same one for, if you're doing the A criteria, you just have to meet one of those specific A numbers. And then those will be your two criteria that you meet. So for a movie, it really isn't, kind of shutting out a group of films if anything again what it's trying to do and i think it's going to do successfully is add more voices to best picture which ever since oscar so white a few years ago is what the academy has been looking to kind of build upon from adding new inclusive members within its own academy and adding to the categories and finding and fixing new rules to allow for people to get into these groups. And when you really kind of look at it, it's not like uh, uh, Hollywood and productions are going to have to meet these diversity requirements. They're going to have to, but it's not that hard to do it. I, I honestly, right off the bat, when thinking about a film, I just immediately thought of Tenet. If Tenet wanted to qualify for the Academy Awards for Best Picture, they already fill out one of the requirements in in requirement A, where they have on-screen representation. John David Washington is lead. He's African-American. They, they check the mark right then and there. So they have one qualification done. Creative leadership and project team. And B1, the creative leadership and department heads, such as casting directors, cinematographer. You have a producer. The producer is Christopher Nolan's wife, who meets that underlining and meets that qualification. She is a woman within the Represented groups, so you have that already done. So you check the box on two on A and B right away, which means *Tenet* can qualify for Best Picture. So, and you 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 don't have to do it on screen. You can do it off screen. You can do it in all these different categories. So it's not like you're completely changing the way you do things, but again, you're adding more voices, which when you hear people like John Boyega talk, that's the thing that they want is they want more inclusion within these departments so they can fit how the actors kind of see themselves and want to see themselves and how they want to be represented on the screen. So again, when you look at this from face value, and I did that immediately for a second or two, I'm thinking, well, this is excluding films, But it really isn't doing that. It is adding to the Academy Award, which is what they wanted to do with this A25 initiative that they have been working on, again, since the Oscar So White campaign. So... I think this is a great idea. I think this is going to really help them. And even though it's not happening this year, I think from what we're seeing, again, with everything going on in the world and the country, when you have films like The Five Bloods, One Night in Miami, which premiered at the Venice Film Festival a few days ago, has been getting some early Oscar buzz going. You have a few other films that are coming out as well that can really speak to the diversity that we seem like we were moving forward ahead with since ever since Parasite won Best Picture in February. So I think this is going to keep the train moving. This is going to keep everything really kind of rolling for these films to just add everything on there. And I think when people are worried that, well, we're not going to get what, no more Quentin Tarantino films for Best Picture, no more Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese. We're going to get those films and they're going to qualify for Best Picture, but we're going to get more voices included in there as well. And again, it's not like you have to make major changes, but again, you can add voices to the background. And it also opens up opportunities for apprenticeships, for more internships, for more inclusivity within those. And so I think this is a really good idea that the Academy has come up with. I think it is really going to benefit them in the long run, excuse me. And again, this isn't something that's going to happen right away. It's not happening this year. In the next two years, is going to be a slow rollout of it to get people to ease into the the new rules. And then by 2024, it really kind of starts hammering home on these new details, on these new rules, which will, I think, help in the future moving forward. So what do you guys think about these new Academy Award rules? For, again, just best picture, everything else from the acting, cinematography, directing, everything else is still from its original eligibility rules. It's just the changes made for best picture. So what do you guys think about these? Let me know and leave your thoughts down below. I really would love to know what you think about it. And the final two things that I wanna talk about on this edition of the Cell Podcast today is one, talking about a surprising sequel that I didn't really see coming and I didn't really hear anything about, but according to Collider, it is already in the can and it is happening. And that is a sequel to the hit comedy classic Borat, starring Sacha Baron Cohen, who actually won the Golden Globe for Best Comedic Actor when he was nominated for the Golden Globes. And I think it was 2006, 2007 when it came out. And it, this comes from Collider and it sounds like Borat 2 is actually happening and it's already been signed, shut, sealed, delivered, and it's already screened for a few industry members. And these are the details that come from the Collider article itself. Plot details remain vague, but what we know is that Borat is no longer the little-known Kazakh TV personality he played in the original 2006 movie. The public knows who he is now, so he has to go undercover to interview people. One source described the film as Cohen playing Borat, playing Cohen. But since we published this story, another source reached out to refute that description while still confirming the project's existence. So, It sounds like this is something that isn't just gonna be coming out in the next year or so. It sounds like Cohen and the people behind this project wanna get it out in time before the election. So maybe in October we might see this film come out, whether it is in theaters or whether it's on a streaming service, which sounds more realistic, whether it be on Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu maybe, but it seems like this really is happening. And for a Borat sequel, I'm all for it. I mean, seeing the videos of him, and there are videos of him actually filming. He's in the full Borat costume and the the hairstyle, the, the mustache. So I'm excited for this. I love Borat. Bruno and the dictator, not so much, but with Borat, it was just such a different hysterical film that I really did enjoy. And I think for Baron Cohen, I think he really wants to showcase politics within comedy. He did that with his Showtime show, This is America, or uh, Who is America rather, and kind of really did something I think really funny and showcase politicians and in their true form, really. And I think he really wants to showcase this from an immigrant side with what's going on in America and see it from that perspective and to kind of play off of the the, 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 the -um mockument kind of style in which he is actually himself playing a character i think that's going to be really interesting and and i'm excited to see what he does with this role but to get more borat i'm all for it sasha baron cohen is really when you look at it a genius comedian comedian excuse me for what he's done and you might not agree for again bruno or the dictator but with borat and even some of the more serious stuff he's done over the years he just had a netflix funk mount or not a, a film rather but a serious with the spy so he really is trying to be a little bit more serious but he is tried and true to himself a comedian and a damn good one at that so I think this is exciting. I think this will get people interested in seeing a sequel and uh, more Borat is all good for me. And I think it'll be the same way for people as well. And the final thing that I want to talk about today on the Sam Bassell podcast is moving from the world of comedy, from the world of Borat, and moving it to a galaxy far, far away, ending it in sci-fi as I began it with Dune. And this is something that I just completely woke up to this morning in which my Twitter feed was filled with this trending thing of Rey Kenobi happening. And I'm wondering, is is Daisy Ridley coming back to to Star Wars? What's happening here? And I go on a website, I go on Entertainment Weekly, I go on on, on a few others that I, I I, I watch and I and I read for my movie news information, and it seemed like Daisy Ridley, who played Ray, in the latest Star Wars trilogy talked to Josh Gad on Jimmy Kimmel Live last night and discussed kind of the behind the scenes going of Rey's parentage, which if you're a Star Wars fan or if you've seen the Star Wars trilogy, one of the biggest mysteries surrounding it was the lineage of Rey's past and who are Rey's parents, are they someone of prominence, is Luke her father, is Obi-Wan her grandfather, what is going on here? And one of the the big things coming out of it was that question. And then we found out in The Last Jedi that she really was nobody. Her parents were nobody. She was just picked for the Force. And then, of course, we found out in The Rise of Skywalker that she was Palpatine's granddaughter, which I think a lot of people suspected when they saw Rise of Skywalker that that is where that storyline was going to end up. And... It just, it just seemed like the, the Star Wars franchise was getting on a nice path, but because of these comments, it seems like they're right back to really where they started. And this is what she had to say regarding the connection to her parentage and the history and the journey that it took from episode seven all the way to episode nine. At the beginning Lucasfilm were toying with an Obi-Wan connection. There were different versions and at one point she was no one. I came to episode nine and JJ pitched me the film and they were like, oh yeah, you're Palpatine's granddaddy. And I was like, awesome. And then two weeks later he was like, oh, we're not sure. So it kept changing. So even as we were filming, I wasn't sure what the answer was going to be. And when I heard this quote, I like to compare things to, to sports and because I'm a big sports fan as well, and I like to throw out some sports analogies, and I'm a diehard New York Mets fan. And if there are any, anybody out there that is listening to this podcast that are New York Mets fans, you might be able to relate with what I'm about to say. So during this past weekend, the Mets were on a great winning streak, and what occasionally what happens to the Mets is they, they get on, on a really good hot tear, and it seems like the Mets are going well, the Mets are doing really well, and then all of a sudden they take two steps back and they're on a losing streak and and they're in the same position that they were in and that is exactly what the star wars franchise is going with as of right now yesterday couldn't have been a better day for the Star Wars franchise. They have the Mandalorian out there. Entertainment Weekly has exclusive uh, pictures. They have uh, new details regarding this. Everyone is looking forward to this. The child, Baby Yoda, Mando, we can't wait for it. The new direction for Star Wars going forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Star Wars universe is happy. Lucasfilm must be happy. It's on a nice going upward trend for the Star Wars franchise right now. And then last night, this morning, it took a few steps back, reverting back to the I don't wanna say disdain, but the bad taste that people have in their mouths after the rise of Skywalker, not all, but some people do, of what, of how they wrapped up that saga, that the 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 trilogy for the sequels, and it just kind of reminded people of that, and it had added a little bit more dirt to the Star Wars franchise after having a great high yesterday with the Mandalorian, and just like I've been saying, and a lot of other people have been saying as well, this is just the latest latest example of the absolute travesty of the sequel trilogy and again i like some of the films within the sequel trilogy i'm a big fan of the force awakens and i really like the aspects of the last jedi some better than others but i really did like the last jedi and then the rise of skywalker was just i was not really a big fan of it i think i gave it a little bit more love than i should have but at the time i was just maybe on a little bit of a star wars high but i i've gone to not like it as much as i really did and when when you hear the the sequel trilogy it just didn't have any connective tissue and this is just the latest example of this occurring where we always, again, after the Force Awakens, the big thing was the fan theories about who is Rey's parents going to be. And then Ryan Johnson delighted some fans, upset some fans that saying, you know what, that question doesn't really matter. And then it seems like the creative team decided to really kind of scurry around it and, and try to find an answer. And the biggest indictment, That Daisy Ridley has said in this quote isn't the fact that it was an Obi Wan connection, it wasn't, it was a nobody connection. It's the fact that during episode nine, you initially had her being Palpatine's grandfather. And you know what you you have you come to that conclusion that's fine but the fact that you go to her 2 weeks later and say you know what oh, we're not so sure yet we're, we're still working on it you're filming at this point and you're still figuring this out it, that should not be happening and that is a recipe for disaster on any production especially a major budget major motion picture like the Star Wars franchise is you don't make those decisions on the fly you you plan them out and for people that say well George Lucas never planned out the original trilogy it's because when you look at trilogies beforehand there were no no trilogies the only trilogy before it was a trilogy was the Godfather and the Godfather struck lightning twice with those films before 1990 when the Godfather part three really kind of obliterated the trilogy aspect of it where you just think of the Godfather as a two-film saga And so before then, there were no trilogies to be thought of whatsoever. So what George Lucas was doing is that, A, it was a singular mind that George Lucas was working with. It was his mind, his vision, his creativity. Even though he didn't work and direct the Empire Strikes Back or the Return of the Jedi, he still came up with the story ideas for where they wanted to go. Even in the prequel trilogy, that had a clear line of distinction between point A and point B. George Lucas wrote, directed every single one of those, and he knew exactly where he wanted to end up going with good or bad that's still up for the debate but at least he had a clear vision of i'm telling the story of this boy who would become the one of the great villains of all time in darth vader and he told that story whether you like it or didn't like it that's what he had that vision in mind with the sequel trilogy again even though i like aspects and i love the first two movies what, he, what the sequel trilogy failed to do was have a singular vision in mind. And he brought on these artists who are great directors in their own right. I really like the films that J.J. Abrams does. I love Mission Impossible 3. I think that is a underrated Mission Impossible film. And I really like what he did with the two Star Trek films, Into Darkness and the first one in 2009. And he's a really good director on, on all fronts. Ryan Johnson is a great director as well from Looper. And I think a lot of people got to notice that with Knives Out last year. So on their own merits, they're great directors but they didn't work together. They didn't tell a, a one whole story. And so you really are just on this really weird wavelength of not telling a cohesive story. And in a trilogy, especially in a day and age where we have stories like the MCU playing out in one single story arc over multiple films and multiple characters, it's, it's not going to cut it. People love seeing these stories told and and want to be invested in these characters. And if you're not giving them that after three films over five years, they're not going to be happy about that. And I think if you're really kind of fumbling the ball of saying, well, we don't know where we want to go with this, but we we think we want to go here, that is not going to work in this day and age. And one of the great things about The Mandalorian going forward is the fact that Mando, at least, has a singular vision in mind with two of its creators, with Jon Favreau and Dave Filoni. They have a vision for where they want to go which is why the mandalorian is such a breath of fresh air for the star wars universe is because it's something new something different while potentially with the second season connecting to the overall mythology of star wars within its lore which is what people wanted to happen with the sequel trilogy it just did not happen that way and I, honestly i would have been really interested to see if she was a descendant of obi-wan I rather would have her been continue to be no one. I really like that angle that Ryan Johnson delivered on. But again, you you just didn't keep that moving forward with the last film. You didn't really end it on that. You decided to make her Palpatine's grandfather or granddaughter, excuse me. And for, for that, it, it just didn't really work out all that well, and I, I think the fact that if you have Rey no Noah, that could have been really interesting, but to have her potentially be someone of Obi-Wan's descent, it would have tied in really well with the overall Star Wars universe. You would have tied it in with the relationship that Obi-Wan potentially gained with Sabine on the Clone Wars. You could have tied the animated series together. There were so many possibilities, and it would have made sense for why you brought in Ewan McGregor to do a mix of Alan Guinness and Ewan McGregor. McGregor together in their Obi-Wan voice where he says these are your first steps when she has that force vision when she touches Luke's lightsaber in episode 7. It would have made a lot more sense but it just they fumbled the ball entirely on this trilogy overall and Thinking of trilogies back then is, again, completely different from what we think of trilogies and overall stories in multiple films going forward because of what we've gotten with the Dark Knight trilogy, with the Planet of the Apes trilogy, even though the Dark Knight trilogy wasn't really, and Nolan has said this, it wasn't connected from beginning to end. It wasn't envisioned as a trilogy. He still did a, a job of trying to connect it back to that, and you see the Lord of the Rings. You see these overall arching stories where you want these creators to tell the audience is to invest in these characters, invest in the story. And with Star Wars, they just didn't have that creative vision, that connectiveness really moving forward. And I I think, especially with Disney and those big IPs that they have, people are expecting that. And it's for... Daisy Ridley to say this I mean it makes sense for her to say this and you know they're just letting it out and I appreciate that that they're not they're no longer obligated to Disney they they're probably done with their contracts their NDAs are done they can talk about this stuff hence why John Boyega really went off about in terms of the diversity of the characters in Star Wars Daisy Ridley's talking about well with with this character they really kind of did this different thing with it so I I like the fact that they're able to talk about this now and Again, it's just I think, unfortunately, even if you like some of the films in the sequel trilogy, overall, that trilogy will be a a very bad taste in people's mouths overall, I think, down the line. And whenever people bring it up, it'll just be going two steps back, unfortunately, for it. And that's just the way it's going to going to be for that trilogy from moving on out. But I I like what Daisy Ridley said. I'm happy that she was able to say it. And again, it just adds more proof to the pudding that there were problems not in terms of the cast or anything like that but in terms of the vision that w- they wanted to move forward with it just wasn't there so i wouldn't be surprised if we hear more stuff maybe down the line but again hearing this stuff it's not surprising it was just a matter of of when we were going to hear it, whether it was a year after rise of skywalker released or, or a few months after it released or five years ten years down the line when they come back for an anniversary it was bound to come out it's it just came out earlier than maybe people thought it was going to. So not surprising. What do you guys think about this news that Ray's parentage was always in question, no idea what was going to happen, and just adds to the validity that the sequel trilogy was always in disarray from the beginning? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. And guys, that's going to do it for this edition of the Sampa podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also make sure to tune in onto the ambiguous podcast solutions and be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also check out Goal Driven Professionals, Geared Toward Improving Client Relations, Return on Investment and Customer Acquisition costs for Independent Businesses and Services. Also check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson, giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Along the way, also check out these other cool shows on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions, such as Wrestle Addict Radio, Fretzel Media Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com. Also on Facebook and Twitter, at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Candy Treehouse, use the coupon code Ambiguous. Also, make sure to follow me on social media when you get a chance. You can find me on Twitter, at Bissell Samuel. That's B U S S E L L S A M U E L. And on Facebook, at Sam Bissell. Thank you guys again so much. And until next time, keep on screening.